0: seem really bright. I'm bright? Yeah. I am bright. Well, yeah. Well, that's right. Isn't it weird how in the English language we have the same word with multiple meanings? I don't know
1: why I'm bright.
0: I look very bright right now, too. But when I look at the camera, it doesn't seem so bad. So I'm not 100% sure. No,
1: it's not on its brightest. Is it bad?
0: Oh, it's wonderful. Well, welcome to Generational Change.
1: Hi, all. It's Wednesday night, Generation. It
0: is Wednesday night. I'm Jen. I'm Peter, and yeah, this should be an interesting night. Um, Jen, Deborah Messing is pissed at the president.
1: (laughs) I saw that. How are we going to go on? how How can he possibly be, you know, go on without her approval?
0: You know, it's ama- <laughs> no, the best part about it. The best part about it is her saying, I got Joe elected. <laughs> that's, the, that's the I mean, like, listen, we know that there are certain people, especially entertainers that are all ego and no substance. But my God, it is overkill. So but but I think the more important question here is why is the White House inviting Deborah Messing to anything like she got him
1: elected? They obviously feel very beholden to her.
0: No, there's got to be something more to it. It's
1: Nobody else wants to talk to him? I don't know.
0: <laughs> Come on,
1: he's man. going down the list and he's at his, like, you know, grade D celebs. I don't know what, why.
0: No, but just the fact that they even would have a meeting like that is, it, it looks really bad. Let's just start with that. But also the fact that, she really believes that she's cock of the walk. Like, that is, that is impressive for an ego, I, I have to say. Like, yeah, it she's really full of
1: herself. She's yeah. very, very full of herself.
0: No, she definitely um, is. And we're going to have.
1: Funny, which is really funny because Susan Sarandon isn't really full of herself, but yet she's so powerful. You know, <laughs> if, if, if Deborah Messing was as powerful as Susan Sarandon, I mean, think about it.
0: It'd be crazy. Well, Kelly Clarkson fan says Debbie will apologize to Susan any day now. Oh, I wouldn't hold out that much hope, but hey, uh, you never know. Uh, Ricardo, uh, honestly,
1: oh, I don't, don't want to hear
0: from Melissa Milano. I don't yeah. think anybody does. I think we, um, I, I think we've come to the realization as to where we are right now, and that is seeing this sort of collapse of the political uh, establishment in many ways and what's interesting is that they they feel the need the the biden administration is so disconnected from reality that they feel the need to get advice and the advice that they're seeking is from hollywood celebrities
1: well i if mean if you think about it our last president is a reality show host so like we really are at the bottom of the barrel. It's not like this, the whole merger of pop culture, celebrity worship and idolizing rich people and all of that, that's completely merged with politics now.
0: It's oh, always. It, it definitely has. And, but now, now it's got a whole new identity because we really are in the throes of like the collapsing empire. And we're not really sure which direction it's going to go in. Um, but they are really, you know how there's always like the flavor of the month, like somebody who they're really excited about. Ooh, how about that person running for president and saving their life? So as expected, um, and for those of you who know, I do a couple of different ventures in politics. I happen to have been at the New Hampshire democratic party convention recently. And I told Jen, Um, Right. When I came back, I said, oh, J.B. Pritzker is definitely going to run for president. It's not a question of if it's a question of when. And he's going to, you know, when I spoke to him for a couple of minutes, I found it very interesting how (laughs) I kind of asked him. So you're heading back to Chicago now. So what do you got on the agenda? And he's like, no, actually, I'm traveling the country. I'm rallying the troops at a whole bunch of places. And I'm like, as soon as he said that, I'm like, all right, yeah, well, it's obvious what you're doing. I mean, come on, you're not, you're not fooling anybody there, buddy. But again, uh, he has, you know, this big write-up that was put today by Nathan J. Robinson in Current Affairs, um, socialists for a billionaire Pritzker. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Not really. Uh, but what I did find the most interesting is they're, they're really like leaning into this idea that a billionaire is going to save them. Um, I don't have any problem with somebody being a class trader and somebody who's going to help. And let's face it, he does have a decent record. Um, you know, as governor of, of Illinois, uh, there is a, there's a huge assault weapons bill that was sitting at his desk that he never got to. That apparently um, they're just using as an excuse that he wasn't going to veto, but that ultimately would have uh, would not have passed. After in lieu of what just happened in Highland Park the other day, but uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, what what I do find interesting though is that Kelly Clarkson fan. I do not agree with you. I've actually heard Pritzker give a speech. He's actually really good. Um, and I don't say that lightly because I think most of these guys are idiots and don't really know what they're doing, but Pritzker is, um, he's got, you know, he's a, he's a big guy. He's got self-deprecating humor, which usually goes really far in politics. And he has a command of the issues and he's done some good things for Illinois. So I wouldn't underestimate him, but he's also not somebody who I would say is going to meet this moment. We need a real revolutionary moment right now. And as the video that we put up on social media, as you guys saw, that Jen said recently, there is nothing on God's green earth that is going to convince myself, Jen, or a lot of others that I would ever vote for Joe Biden again. Like, you had your opportunity to do something. And not only have you not done anything, you've done less than nothing. You have actually made it infinitely worse. Josh Krulik, great to see you, brother.
1: Hey, Josh. Uh, To
0: me... This is a very. um, This is this is a situation where people are going to flirt with a lot of different potential candidates and see what they're capable of doing. Now, I do not see Pritzker, my opinion. I do not see him primarying Joe. Now, if somebody else gets in there and primaries Joe and momentum is there, then I think you can make the argument that others will get involved. But as far as what Pritzker will do, if Joe doesn't run again, then yes, absolutely, I do believe Pritzker will run, 100%. What do you think?
1: This seems to be like a battle of governors sort of situation brewing. And I just saw something recently where like Newsom was poking his ugly head out to sort of take a jab at DeSantis. So I sort of look at this like it seems to be a governor's... um,
0: What what I find most interesting about um, Newsom doing that is the fact that he's trying to tell people in Florida, hey, come move to California. First of all, the fact that you're asking people to move to California is kind of weird. But then you take it a step further and the cost of living in Florida is high, but it makes living in Florida look cheap compared to living in California. So I really don't know how he is going to try to convince people that that's a good idea. But then again, Newsom is kind of disconnected from reality himself.
1: Uh, all those, of the people of whom we're speaking yeah. are disconnected from reality.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, give me one second. Uh, so we just got a message. Uh, the, all right. So let me just say the link just came on with is the one that she should use it. All right, so hopefully that will clear that up. Our first guest of the night is Nomiki Konst, and that will be interesting. Uh, we have to give everybody their fair shake. I really don't, you know, again, this is like the one thing that, that, you know, Jen and I discussed when it comes to whether or not you agree that Nomiki should be running for, you know, New York Senate District 59, and the fact that, you know, you have, you um, You know the candidate Kristen Gonzalez, who's running there, and everyone's like, "Well, the DSA endorsed her and this and that." It's like, well, either we have a democratic process or we don't. Right. Trying to tell people not to run is how about the fact that you can't even get people to run? That's a huge problem. It's like, why won't this person run? Why won't that person run? Eh, Yeah, that's a huge problem. Uh, we need more people running for office. I wish we had the problem that New York City has. To be honest. In New York, at least you do have people that run for office. We could only be so lucky to have more like India Walton's, if you will, running uh, for office uh, compared to a state like Florida, where, well, we all know how things are.
1: <clears throat> right, I Val Demings' police ad was there? Did she do some like pro police ad or something? What was it? Well, about? You,
0: haven't, you haven't seen her TV yet?
1: No, no. Oh, this
0: is this is great. Okay, so. <laughs> the the TV ad that you have not been able to see since you're in North Carolina right exactly. has been airing for the past few weeks, and basically it is a g. If you didn't know any better, you would think it was a GOP candidate running for for governor yeah. uh, or for Senate. Um, she's talking about how <laughs> uh, we need a cop on the beat saying defund the police is stupid. Um, uh, yeah, that's 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 basically her ad. Uh, it's so very,
1: she, she's gonna try to she's gonna try to go to the right.
0: She's gonna try she's to, to and right right, try right. to
1: pick off any Republicans instead of appealing to the left and having any chance of winning.
0: And that's what I don't understand. It's like, are you you really don't trust your brand and you really don't trust how you got here, but as we discussed. One of the biggest problems that people from outside the state of Florida need to understand is that one of the reasons why the party politics in this state is so bad is because as soon as they figure out who the candidate is that they want to back, they go to town trying to clear the field. OK, we've got Val. Get the hell out of the way. And that's that. So even though, even though there were other
1: people in there before she got in there.
0: That's true. That's true. And right, the think.
1: I mean
0: correct. At least with the governor's race, you can give them credit for at least not making that mistake. Uh, but it's pretty obvious. The right. They're all foolishly, race.
1: they're all foolishly clamoring to lose the gubernatorial race. Well, season.
0: listen, if anything, if we had more people running for as we is the project that we were working on, people running for office in seats that are not even contested would make a huge difference in terms of voter turnout. Um uh, But as we know, uh, we we have a lot to learn from a state like New York, which, of course, does a great job, especially in New York City, of getting the vote out and has been what I like to call somewhat of the AOC renaissance over the past five, six years. It's always been a great city for that. But right now we're seeing all kinds of people who are non-corporate running for office. And that is really what we need. And of course, we are very pleased to welcome to the show somebody who you all know very well from the wonderful world of Bernie politics, She has been a very strong advocate for a lot of the issues that we fight for, including most notably the one that is the eye of the hurricane, as I like to say, in the state of New York, the New York Health Act, which we are working very hard for. And hopefully, if we can get this lovely lady to Albany, she will be on the front lines fighting for that very issue. She's running for New York's 59th District State Senate seat. Nomiki Konst, welcome to Generational Change.
2: Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm, um, I'm sorry for being late. I was dealing with some tech difficulties. (laughs) I, I, uh, I should know these things at this point, but as you can see, we're in the heart of Astoria right now in the middle of campaigning. So I appreciate you, um, being patient with my lack of technical skills. (laughs) No, absolutely.
1: Thanks so much for coming on. I know how hard it is when you're in the middle of campaigning to take time. I remember doing interviews in the car, like driving and just trying to do the best we can, but, um, Talk a little bit about this district. I know this is a new this is a new district, right? From your recent exactly. redo. Okay, so talk exactly. a little bit about the district, like where it is and why there's nobody sitting there now.
2: So hopefully, you'll hear me over the yeah. famous street it's traffic new York, new York City.
0: We expect to hear cars whizzing in the background. That's how it
2: works. <laughs> There's a red light, so everyone's honking. Um, so this is, you know, as as much as New York, and I'm so I'm so happy you mentioned that there's been a lot of progress in New York because there has been. But this is after years and years of institutional, in some ways legalized corruption, in some ways not so legal corruption, uh, where we've had a rotating cast of characters that have been in leadership in New York State go to jail, literally go to jail um, for the corruption that has been so present in the state based on on deals cut with corporate interests, real estate developers, um, and, and many other uh, folks who just are are tied to keeping the status quo. And- and I really do credit the work that we did on Bernie's race. I do, um, because it was the first time we were a- able to have open conversations about uh, issues related to democratic reforms, issues, I mean, really in an aggressive way. Uh, and, and as a result, after Bernie won, or, you know, won, <laughs> ran, <laughs> I wish he won, um, the conversation changed very rapidly here. And as a result, the, the, the makeup of the state Senate, uh, was flipped, even though they tried everything to make sure that, that the Republicans stayed in control for over 40 years. Um, you know, Andrew Cuomo obviously had to step down, uh, and, and AOC was elected and many other great successes. I mention this because part of this redistricting fight is because we still have that legacy of control, um, in this state towards keeping the status quo. And they're doing everything they can. It's the return of the Jedi to make sure that uh, conservatives and, and corporate interests in particular stay in control of New York. So we had a redistricting fight in this state that was worthy of a telenovela. Um, we, we went through multiple rounds of, of maps and all the way into the last hour, a little over a month ago, they released the final maps after bringing in this thing called a special master a guy who's an expert on, uh, redistricting supposedly. Uh, and he announced the new maps a little over a month ago. And I learned just as everybody else did that my state Senator, Michael Janaris, uh, who's the deputy leader, a very good friend of mine over the years, we fought very hard to defeat the IDC. Um, we go back over 20 years since he ran for assembly, uh, and I supported him. He, uh, is no longer my Senator. <laughs> and so we learned that this brand new district was created that encompasses Astoria, uh, which is the largest part of the district, um, Long Island city, Greenpoint, North Williamsburg. And then just for fun, it cuts over to Manhattan for the second largest part of the district where we have Stuyvesant town, which has an incredibly rich history, Peter Gruber village of middle-class housing, uh, fighting corporate interests. And then also, um, Gramercy Park, Murray Hill, Kips Bay, uh, I'm sure I forgot one part, but it's basically um, midtown East Manhattan. Uh, and, and it's, it's a diverse district, um, in terms of, of history. I mean, really a, a, Queens is extremely immigrant and, 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 and Brooklyn, the, the immigrant communities here are vibrant. Um, I'm Greek. Astoria is a, it's very important to the Greek community in terms of, you know, when our families came here from Greece many of them had this entrance point here in Astoria. And so um, it's a new district. It's also very progressive. It is almost entirely supported by Bernie. Like Bernie did so well. I don't know if there's a district that is more progressive than this district. And so right up front, I'll tell you something because I know that we're going to have to get into this. You can have 15 progressives in this race and a progressive is going to win because this is an overwhelmingly progressive district. Um, this district supported Bernie. Supported uh, AOC, who's now my congressperson. Um, st- this district supported Cynthia Nixon. This district supported Zephyr Teachout. There is a actually a story in particular. Uh, historically, it was the socialist headquarters of New York City. I just learned this from the story. Historical Society who decided to tell me this. Um, there is a long, long history of of socialist organizing in this district. Uh, But we'll we'll talk about that more. I'm sure you have many more questions.
0: We're speaking with Miki Khan's candidate for New York State Senate District 59. You know, the thing that's interesting about where we stand right now politically is the fact that we are getting that much closer with the New York Health Act. We are very friendly with State Senator Rivera. He was just on the podcast yesterday. I
2: love Gustavo. Uh, yeah.
0: And he's in his own <laughs> primary that we're going to have to lend a hand with. So um, it goes without saying that the momentum that is built as sort of like the Bernie effect, you even call it the AOC effect in New York. I think that that's really galvanized a lot of people. And even though things look really bad at the top right now. And could and you talk about one of the big issues that we see very often, especially in non-corporate left politics? Everyone is so caught up in what a let's be fair, let's be very fair, a disaster. Biden has been as president, but you cannot control what goes on at the top. What you can control is what goes on at the local level. And even though in D.C. things don't look very promising, we'd like to think in New York things look a lot better. So if you could talk more about where you stand on the issues and where things are moving, especially with the New York Health Act, that would be great.
2: I'm so happy you mentioned this because, you know, in these calls that I'm having with folks, you know, it's it's we had an election on it's, it's a very confusing election. so this this election is on august twenty third. Um, they had to set a new election date because of this chaotic redistricting process. But we also had an election on june twenty eighth. And unfortunately, turnout was historically low, um, almost criminally low. Usually they had to do that by design. They had to keep low turnout. So the establishment was supported uh, by design, by having restrictive voting laws. And and we passed a lot of uh, electoral reform. Now, they, they, the establishment, uses that as a tool. Um, so this election is really important because it is about turnout. It's not about, you know, splitting votes or all this stuff that's on the Internet. It's about can you turn on a base, do people know who you are, and do people know what you represent? And in New York State, we're uh, Republican legislatures, for those of you who don't know, you know I was on the Union Reform Commission, and I fought very hard to open up primaries and uh, change Democratic voting laws, Democratic Party voting laws across the country because the Democrats unfortunately lost over 1,200 seats uh, during the Obama presidency, and as a result, Um, they lost legislatures to Republicans. And there are states across this country that Democrats should control. Uh, Like Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Overwhelmingly Democratic population. Um, Yet, it is this like weird purple. And the legislature is conservative. And part of that is because we have not invested as Democrats and progressives into these legislatures. And so we're left with a couple places across the country where we can actually pass transformative legislation. Now, being in New York, you know we know nothing's happening in washington washington right now we know people are under attack across this country with basic human rights right but in new york in particular we are a progressive democratic state and on top of that we finally have our legislature because we defeated the idc the democrats were caucusing the republicans um and in and, and, and trickery and i'm very proud to be part of that that organizing effort early on um but now we have a Democratic majority and we have a backlog of issues that we need to address. We have issues that we just need to deal with because of the crises, like the New York Health Act. And then, now we have to protect the rest of the country. So not only am I incredibly supportive of Gustavo Rivera's and Dick Oddbreed's bill for the New York Health Act, and Gustavo, I am proud to, to say, is a very good friend of mine who i worked on, on many issues, including Puerto Rico issues. Um, you know, Gustavo has a fight. He said this to... He's dealing with the Bronx Party right now. The Bronx Party is notoriously one of the most corrupt Democratic parties in the the country. When the new lines were drawn, the Bronx Party was like, we're just going to keep our endorsement from another district. I'm dealing with a very similar situation. Uh, Democratic process is important. And, and, you know, I say this because he is one of the most powerful voices in the Senate. And we are going to do some real damage when we get in there. And we not only fight for the New York Health Act, but uh, on our platform, we are, we are, we, first off, we have a COVID platform, which is pandemic relief platform is something that I'm aghast. Nobody has right now in any of these races. It's not just about dealing with a future pandemic like monkeypox or whatever's next dealing with the pandemic we have right now, the surge rates in, in Queens are the numbers were released. Today, it's outrageous. And, and across the city, um, we've lost members of our team to COVID who you know, we don't have hazard pay in this city. We still don't have actual rent relief. We don't have protections didn't put in place for frontline workers. The people who've been affected the most by COVID of course are frontline workers. So it's not just that we need the New York Health Act. We need a public health plan that is responsive because this was the epicenter in the beginning. We know there's a hospital right down the street here. Those bodies were in trucks outside of the hospital. We know what those sirens sounded like. We know what it felt like. Our neighbors, our family members have been affected by COVID during the worst moments. We were not prepared. And now we're covering up the numbers. And we have no economic relief on top of it. Mm -hmm. Aside from all that, as a woman, um, I'm sure Jen knows this experience very well. We don't fund women's health. No. No. How many times do you have to go to a doctor and say, Oh, I think I have this thing. And only 10 years later to find out you did have that thing and you could have prevented that thing, but because the doctor was not, the research wasn't, the money wasn't being put into it. Um, there was no the mechanism in place to make sure that doctors listened and double checked. Um, this came onto our platform because of a personal experience I had in terms of, of having endometriosis for 20 years and dealing with fertility issues. And now I have a fibroid the size of a fist uh, that is in my right ovary um, that I did not know about until the day before I launched my uh, campaign, by the way, because I had ovarian cysts first. And the new OBGYN I, I had said, you know, you have a fist-sized uh, fibroid. Has anybody ever told you? And I said, no. And he goes, that's malpractice. You've had this here for 10 years. This could, you could have cancer hidden behind it. You need to have a surgery. The New York Times that week published an article about how this affects mostly women of colors. Fibroids are are more prevalent with women of color. And, um, it's a, it's, it's a class issue. It's a racial issue. It's a gender issue. And this needs to be incorporated into our health plan. So you asked me a question. I'm so sorry because I'm wonky. I'm going to give you 9,000 different, uh, examples of what we need to do once we get in, but it's not just the basic progressive issues that we've been running on nationally. New York has the power. We can regulate things. We can take on crypto. We can uh, take on the real estate industry and set this for the rest of the country because so many different industries that are problematic are housed in this state. And what happens in New York can transform the rest of the country. And um, that's why you can't just have folks who are, are, are I mean, you, well, let's be real. Everyone wants to be progressive now. Progressive district. Everyone wants to be progressive. I yeah. got I got the receipts. Yeah, yeah you know, gone to
0: town on this. I think it's very important that you actually transitioned into what is um, obviously maybe one of the most important issues of all in New York, and that, of course, is housing. Uh, Down here in Florida, you know, President DeSantis uh, doesn't really think think very highly of people's ability to pay uh, to live. Unfortunately, Florida only has, like, a very small area, which happens to be the Orlando metro area. Uh, This really great group uh, who works with Anna Eskamani, I'm sure you're familiar with her, uh, really is focused on, uh, you know, how to deal with the housing crisis, having, you know, low-income housing, which is very important. Uh, New York City is the most expensive city still. Um, Parts of San Francisco could be thrown in, but, you know, overall. We we, we
2: just won the war uh, last week. They announced that we're back in (laughs) 1st
0: So obviously Astoria is a, is a oh, very okay. nice neighborhood. I know it well. I used to work at Kaufman Astoria studios. So uh, that is, that, yeah, that is not cheap to live there and it is not cheap to live in lower Manhattan. So if you could talk about one of those primary issues as a state Senator, uh, I would assume that housing, as you mentioned is big, what, what would you be looking to do there?
2: Um, well, Kaufman studios right now is the epicenter of some of these fights right now in, in Astoria. Now, no, this district, let's keep it real. Like, this is a very large district that encompasses many parts of New York. From my window, I wrote an op-ed um, last week in, in uh, the Village Sun, if anybody wants to go look it up. But I, I wrote about this in the op-ed that from my window um, in Western Astoria, um, I can see the cliche tale of two cities, which is is it's not even the tale of two cities anymore. We're past that point. You have the Manhattan skyline, the high rises, the glass towers that have been purchased up by oligarchs that are just stashing their money, and as a result, creating a speculative market. So, what I keep hearing folks say is, "It's the market price. It's the market. Who the hell is setting the market price? Developers, real estate brokers, and in many cases, this 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 foreign money that we're supposedly so allergic to um, is 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 setting the speculative market. At The same time, in the same view, uh, vista." I see the large, some of the largest housing um, complexes in the country. Queensbridge housing is in this, into this, in this district. Um, Story houses, uh, several more are in this district. And NYCHA, New York Public Housing, is severely underfunded, criminally underfunded, not just by the federal government but also by the the state government. And so, you 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 have a human, I mean, human rights crisis. You have people who are paying what to most Americans would be an outrageous amount of uh, money for rent at public housing. And they're not receiving um, basic services like appliance uh, changes. You know, I, I, I was visiting um, some mothers whose children had lead poisoning uh, and had developmental issues because the chips, the lead paint had not been fixed in much of the public housing in this, this city. And when I went to some of these houses, um, these apartments, the mothers were like, oh, please excuse the extra stove in the way because our maintenance has not come and collected the old stove. We had to go pay for a new one on our own buck. Uh, and when the stove was moved out of the way, the lead chips, the paint chips fell. And the kids, because they're sweet, ate the paint chips. Hmm. And that's, you know, a few paint chips here and there. It is criminal. Yeah. Meanwhile, yep. we talk about not having affordable housing. Uh, I'm, I don't, I, don't, I don't give an ass. We should be seizing this, this housing from these oligarchs. We should seize it. They're doing it in London. They're doing it all over the country, all over the world right now. Seize it. We talk about not having affordable housing stock and not having space, not having the money for it. B.S. Most of these towers, but major rent, uh, 421A and other um, uh, tax schemes that have been devised over the last 50 years, they were created to incentivize the overdevelopment of this city. And what comes with overdevelopment and, and folks not buying these apartments or renting them is you have a speculative bubble. We have empty housing stock throughout this city. We have hotels that are being converted now into into thank goodness um, well needed housing for for the unhoused. With that being said, though, you know we can do the same with affordable housing. At Kaufman Studios, there is a new development um, that is being proposed and was rejected by a, a community board here in Astoria um, recently. Uh, where I testified and, and the Queensborough president had hearings the other day um, where I also testified and, and essentially what was happening is there's this new project that uh, is, it's, it's a bunch of high rises and, you know, they're promising things like mini parks, like they call them pocket parks. You know, if no one can afford to live they're not going to go to your pocket parks or whatever zombie playgrounds you're proposing. I mean, it's, it's always, it's like, it's like come up with this lingo cause they think it's sexy, but it's, um, at the end of the day, folks just need to survive. And in surrounding neighborhoods, you have a primarily Latino and, um, uh, you know, Bengali community around their South Asian community that is going to be affected. Um, they've already been on the front lines of this pandemic. They're already hurting with the rising rents. Fun fact in the last year, rents have gone up 33% in one year in New York. And, Our mayor's solution is raise the rents, raise rent-stabilized apartments like my own, um, two to five percent. Um, It's, you know, no one wants to take on the third rail of politics in New York, which is the real estate industry. And, uh, you know, I'll end on this. Yes, we need to tax the rich, but they're going down to Florida. We need to tax the developers. No one wants to say that. That's where we're losing our money right now. It's where we're losing our money. Yeah.
1: Just well, no one, ever holds, no one ever holds ownership accountable. You know, like when people have problems with illegal immigration and jobs, they don't ever go after the owners, you know? So it's the same. It, it's Those are their friends. They don't want to irritate their friends. They like to keep everybody, they like to keep the money train moving.
2: And you know, and, and they move their money in creative ways. So some of you know, I've, I've been an investigative reporter and I'm like, it's fun to play the game of find the money. Um, you know, maybe it doesn't go directly to the candidate, but it goes to the PAC or it goes to the organization that's backing the candidate, that's boosting their post. It's, money will always be created, especially in the state. Like, this is really important, right? So we have a state that is undeniably democratic. We have a district that almost almost 90% of the district, like, seriously, this is a Bernie district, So they know that whoever is going to win this race is probably going to have progressive weight. But money always finds a way to say, okay, well, we have to brand this this way now. And so, you know, I think people should follow the money. I think people should pay attention to process. This is something I've I've always said. If you're allergic to process, if you're allergic to democracy, that's a red flag. That's what the DNC does. That's why we fought Debbie Wasserman Schultz, that's why we fought uh, the Unity Reform Commission was created. I mean, we, that's why we fought the IDC, is because we believe that fairness, democratic processes are the cornerstone of, of what makes progress available. And, um, you know- We know that the Democratic
1: Party doesn't really feel too keen on actual democracy. Like, we're we're pretty familiar with that, all of it and i'm glad you brought up like you know that people shouldn't worry whether or not a progressive wins this seat because i know that you know like strategically people get all their panties in a bunch when they think that that should rightfully belong to someone else i see people in the chat wanting to know why you didn't consider DSA as a platform to run? like everybody. So, has,
2: DSA, so yeah. uh, let me, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. So no. DSA endorsed in a different district and they didn't open up the process again. So there's only two organizations I know that didn't do that. And, um, and you know, Gustavo Rivera is dealing with one of them. He's making the same complaints against the Bronx democratic party. Um, I've been a DSA member for a very long time. Marie Fart, uh, the president literally like signed me up in person. Um, you know I was I, I don't think I need to say that I'm a socialist, but institutions, you know, there's a reason Michael Brooks said be kind to people and, and ruthless to institutions, because institutions can be affected by a lot of things. And um I wish that DSA did open up their endorsement process for after redistricting. It's what a lot of organizations have done. Um Matriarch, which I, I'm the I'm the director of our board, decided to hold off on endorsements in many different situations because they knew redistricting was gonna affect it. And and, um, you know, I, I appreciate uh, the comment about that. But um, DSA is a democratic organization and there's a lot of members and a lot of members didn't vote in us. And, you know, I live here. And when you live in the district and people recruit you from the district, I'm sitting at a, a supporters restaurant right now in Astoria. Um, they want to make sure that they have representation that is rooted in the district. And I think as a socialist, being your history of progress, your documented history of progress and fights, your your, your ability to, to be part of a community is important. And if we're not talking about things, I don't know what this is anymore. Is it a machine? And so, you know, I hear what some people are saying, um, but I, I definitely urge you to think about, do you want someone who's rooted in the district? Do you want somebody who has a legacy of of progressive history? And do you want someone who's recruited by the community? Or do you want a machine?
1: Right. I would argue that the most important thing is to have an actual fair election. So the whole concept that, that primaries are somehow impolite, as if somebody is supposed to be anointed or even who is sitting there is supposed to just be entitled to sit there is ludicrous and the Democrats are so much worse about that, I think. And it's it's really shameful. So I don't know whatever the nonsense and the political crap you're dealing with in your district with whoever's telling you shouldn't do this or should and it's such bullshit. Like I find that real the whole point of a primary people is for people to pick who they want. Like that's the point of it. You know?
2: And 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 to be fair, a lot of this is just online. I mean I live here. I I mean, when you live in it, when you're walking down the street, and you run into people you know, and you go to the you know the street fairs, and you go to the uh, fireworks shows, and and you run into your neighbors, and you run into the restaurant owners, and you run into you know your hairstylist the other day. I mean, it's just it's just what happens. But no one knows what's going on. This this like weird debate on the well, internet. Well, some yeah, of I thought that
0: Twitter was real life. I mean, that's <laughs> what I thought.
2: You can raise money. I mean, to be fair, you can raise money and you can boost yourself. And, um, and you can, that's, I'm no foreigner to the internet as, as you guys aren't either. Um, there are some definite, uh, pluses to it. With that being said, pol- all politics is local. I mean, I'm, I'm,
1: Yeah.
2: this is a very short race. Every single person who's running in this race are five candidates. Every single person in this race, as of a month ago, has to introduce themselves for, to this district. The only person with an exception to that is Elizabeth Crowley because she's run for Queensboro. Uh, she's run, run um, uh, Queenswide. And so she has has done this before. And as of high, I've, I've run citywide. So, you know, you have to introduce yourself. And no one comes in here with some sort of edge, Um it's just, it's just what it is. And, and two people in this race were running in a completely different district, 85% dis- different. And that's really important for folks. And, you know, I have been very reluctant to respond to a lot of the online insanity because it's, it is that, like, I mean, you guys don't like, I've yeah. when you're on the internet, you've seen these rounds, you know, whether it's the right wing, whether it's people like, I, we've gone to war with the Hillary people.
0: We've also noticed that there's a lot of uh, left spaces that have not been asking you to come on. Don't think that's not lost on us. So that's the type of stuff where, you know, all that work that you did for Bernie over the past six years, it basically goes out the window. You know, we had, you know, very friendly with Andrew Yang. And, you know, one of the things that he said on our podcast that really resonated was I can agree with progressives in certain factions, especially in New York City, on 20 issues. But if I'm wrong on number 21 They may very well just cast me aside and be done with me altogether. And that, to me, was a huge part of why Eric Adams became the mayor. When I saw people saying you should rank Eric and not Andrew because they didn't like his take on Israel in particular. okay, fine. Uh, Let's not forget what a significant portion, especially Borough Park, makes in terms of the vote. So he played politics. Don't have to agree with what he did. But at the end of the day, you now have a mayor That I am sure most people don't really like. I Lord knows I wouldn't like them. So I I think that there is something to be said for allowing the democratic process to take place. And that's one of the main reasons we want to have you on one of the last things I did want to talk about, though, which I think is important. Over time, there are organizations that will evolve, they'll get better, They may not get better. Can you talk about what the effect is with some of these like I don't even have to name them. You know who they are. Um, they help candidates run and all of that. Can you talk about some of the, the politicalization of even our so-called progressive organizations that everyone thinks is really for the cause? But in reality, there is a lot of that machine politics yeah. that takes that over as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think for folks who are not in New York or, and, and folks who are in New York, they may not be aware. Um, because New York is undeniably a democratic state, we rarely battle with Republicans. I mean, obviously upstate and Staten Island might be an exception, but, and Long Island. Um, but you know, in the city, it is a democratic game. So if you don't have the democratic party, what is the alternative? And so you're going to fundamentally have a new form of what in many other parts of the country is just the democratic party. So, you know, uh, there, machines want to control folks, um, who were running. And we've seen a history, a pattern of aggression against candidates who are independently progressive, who defy the machine for whatever reason. Um, even in this, this area where I live, uh, some folks have gotten a lot of aggressive responses and threats. I mean, let will be real. A lot of people that are, um, staying out of this race in terms of endorsements or have endorsed this race have been threatened. Um, you know, people, there's a lot of people who I have very long histories with that have been straight up said, you know, we're not going to have the support on XYZ thing if we don't endorse someone else in this race. Um, and, you know, that's that's the endorsement game. I mean, I think people may not necessarily and generally understand that a lot of endorsements come with deals. doesn't mean that you're not friends with them or talking to them or whatever. Um, this is a, this is a, a local race. So, you know, we're very, very, very much focused on hitting the ground, talking to our neighbors, talking to our friends, talking to our community leaders, because very, very, very rarely do endorsements make a difference in a race, um, especially a hyper local. Um, you know, I think that some machines come with fundraising abilities. Some machines come with Uh, the ability to volunteer because maybe some of the folks that are volunteering may not know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, Mm -hmm. But I can tell you right off the bat, uh, you know, we've done the work in this district. We've done the work nationally. We've done the work statewide. Um, So of course this is New York. I'm sorry. There's like a fire truck going by. Um, So you know, it's it's it's, it's not going to be easy. I'm going to mute myself for one
0: second if you want to follow up. Sure. And so I do think that uh, the, the other thing, like you mentioned, is, um, you know, the coalition building at the local level is so very important. Um, you know, we learned that, uh, you know, with Jen running against Debbie, obviously it's a different dynamic running for Congress, but all just the same, it's uh, it's got a lot of similar elements. And anytime you're trying to take on corporate... Power, corporate special interest power. Especially in the biggest city in the world, which has the biggest real estate in the world. You know, you've got a lot of fight that's gonna be there. But as you alluded to, you know, the district is definitely a safe progressive district, which is obviously great to hear. Hopefully, uh, you know, things will work out for whoever ultimately gets the nomination in August. Um, what I would like to know, I think this is probably the most important question. Jen, you might not like it, but I have to ask it anyway. Up. What is the best Greek restaurant to eat at in the story in New Oh, no,
2: I'm going to get it yelled at. Okay, so I just, I have many favorites for different vibes. I'm sitting at one right now, so I got to shout out Ammonia Cafe. Um, okay. Ammonia is, I've been coming here since I was a kid. So um, my dad used to be the head of this very large Greek organization. I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Um, and my dad was the the state governor of this greek political organization and so he used to come to astoria uh, almost like every week and you know he would take me every once in a while and ammonia i was just saying to the owner i've been coming here i mean known him but he was i was like i've been coming here since i was like eight years old seven years old and i have such great memories from here they have great baked goods um and looking at a poster right now where they have a my big fat Greek wedding poster where the cake from the wedding they did, I guess. Um, so it's a great after-hours place for coffee, drinks, whatever. Down the street, one block away, is a place called Bahari. Bahari is old school Greek. It is so good. Oh, my God. And if you go there, it's on Broadway, um, by the Broadway subway stop. They have the best – they do like fresh fish and shrimp and lamb chops and everything. But the gigandes, the the beans, I mm. highly recommend you you get those. Okay, there's many other places. Ovalia and all these people are supporting us. I'm really grateful, and it's not like a you know. But I go there. So hey, I think
0: I think promoting <laughs> local small business is a huge we part. We do that a lot. Uh, we we yeah, did, we that's still a huge part. Do. part of Very.
2: Oh, important. it's huge. Um. So Ovalia is, uh, the, the boys there that own it are, are very good friends of mine. Um, it's a little bit more edgy. They've been on like the food network and all these different shows. They're like, you know, fun millennial chefs who are like on TV, but they have really good cocktails that have like Greek influences and they've got like a more modern spin, um, on their, their dishes. And then, uh, Amilos is great. Same owners. And then Anasa, which is also in the city in Midtown, um, in the district also, but also they have it on a story boulevard. I'll just keep going. I mean, I, no, I
1: actually, I was actually, <laughs> I actually stayed in your district not that long ago. I was there at an Airbnb in the Stuyvesant town and I actually, oh, yeah. it was really, really nice there. Stuyvesant. And I found out it used to be, so it was military.
2: Stuy Town was military. Okay. I recommend a book by Dan Grodnick, who was the council member there, which is about Stuy Town. I'm forgetting the name of it. I read it. Great. Yeah. He grew up in Stytown. Yeah. Definitely recommend it.
1: It was military housing, is what, what it was originally constructed to be. But the con- the unit that we it was really nice. Like I was very and there's a lot of families there. There's a lot it's, of little kids there.
2: The green space there is beautiful. Yeah. Um for folks, why Stytown is, is important for the rest of the country is to so Stytown was really the beacon of middle class housing when it was built. Um and there were, there were massive fights towards when the privatization happened. Um, I, anybody who cares about housing, you should definitely look into Town. And the book by Dan Grodnick is great. I read it um, when it came out last year and I had no idea what you're going to be running in this district. I'm like, what?
1: No, um, it's good to know that stuff. I think it's important that you live in your district and you know your district. I find it infuriating when people play district like musical chairs to just find a way to get elected to something. I can't stand that.
2: And you no. know, and I don't I don't want to denounce people that like moved to New York, because I did that too. But that's what New York is. New York is a city of immigrants and people who wanted better lives, who came here because they had a dream. With that being said, though, you know, living in the district that you're running in is kind of important. So. Yes. Right. Yeah, for sure.
0: One of the biggest one of the biggest things, and and, and we'll leave on this note, um, you know, One of the biggest things that people complain about in left politics is that not enough people run for office, and that is a huge problem. Everybody likes to be a Monday morning quarterback, but to be actually willing to go out there and take the slings and arrows, which is not easy to do, and it is even more difficult when you are a woman and oh, – yeah. It really is difficult, I will laud the two of you, when you are an attractive woman, and then you are getting all types of very inappropriate messages that are very difficult to take. And especially in lieu of what just happened with Roe v. Wade... Uh, I don't think a lot of men have enough respect for how hard it is for women to run for office. And the fact that you. you have done that's it several so times, oh, and box. it's not easy oh, to box. also run for office multiple times and lose and continue to say, you know what? The hell with this. I'm still going to fight." because it is a mental weight that is not easy to do. So we, uh, you know, we know each other on a personal level. Uh, we obviously think very highly of you uh, being willing to do this. We do not have a dog Love in But the fact that you are willing to do it really says a lot. Now, Mickey, where can people find you? How can they get involved if they want to support you?
2: Thank you. Well, you know, I'm so glad you said this about women running because it takes a woman an average of three times to run before they win. And that, by the way, is a well-funded woman. So, you know, you you think about all the other dynamics. My other hat in my real-world job is is matriarch. And we founded that because working-class women, progressive women, um, have a lot more institutional barriers to run and win and we don't really talk about them openly. And so, um, I know Jen knows this very well. Like you, you don't know what you don't know until you're in it and it can actually change your life. And in some cases it, it, people have lost their jobs, they've lost their homes, they've lost their marriages. Um, it's been very, very difficult. So we try to prepare people for what's to come and also create the, you know, the, the resource, uh, kit, so that they're able to run more viable campaigns and it might not happen. And one thing about matrix is really important is we will say you may not win the first time or the second time or the third time, even, but we're with you. We believe in you. And that's why we supported people like Nabila Islam the second time and Melanie Dorigo, who's running right now. And, and Corey Bush, who fourth time won. Um, And, 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 you know, uh, Amy Villal. I mean, there's many candidates that we've supported over and over. Uh, Brianna Westbrook. So, for me (laughs) this is this is this is a a big one for me um i did run for public advocate as you know very well and uh big fight there was getting to matching funds which we received four days before the election (laughs) so uh wasn't a lot we could do with the, the the money that we received from the city but this time around it is all about our july 11th deadline uh the elections on august 23rd we are doing phone banking as we speak right now we have folks doing phone banking if you want to uh, uh, go phone bank or or show up and knock on doors, go to Nomiki for New York, NY, N O M um, I K I F O R N Y com. And um, and honestly, in terms of fundraising, this is this is super important because we don't have a lot of time to raise the money. Uh, people are on vacation. People are exhausted. Trump's not in office. There's a lot of reasons why people are feeling just 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 disenthusiased. and. Um, You know, if you can contribute a little bit, it goes a long way. It's paying for folks to be able to have the materials to knock on doors. Um, It's making sure that we have the infrastructure, the tech infrastructure in place so that we can make those calls uh, so that we can text people reminders. I mean, this is the posters. I was asked, where are our posters (laughs) coming in a few days? Guys, like this stuff costs money. And um, it's, it's a hard fight. I know, Jen, you know this very, very well. Um, it's material. So we, we do appreciate every single donation, every call and every volunteer hour that's put in. And, um, and of course we spread the word. So thank you guys. I mean, first off, you guys, I want to just plug you for independent media as somebody who's been in independent media. A lot of choices in life people can make. When you run for office and you leave office, you have a lot of assets and tools you can use for different reasons. It, it means you're dedicated to your life's work. This work to be able to dedicate your life. I don't think people understand this is not a, doesn't pay a lot of money if you get anything. Um, this is really about the community and informing folks. And so I commend you guys for taking the time and the energy to, 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 to create a platform to educate folks. Um, you're fighting the algorithms, you're fighting the right wing in Florida, you're fighting a lot. and And to use your, essentially what you've been able to create a platform for others is is very commendable and um from one independent host to another I I commend you and if I can ever help you in any way you know please know that you can reach out to yeah, me
1: that's, it's so nice to meet you I mean you know I've been following you for a while and I'm, I'm very supportive and you know contrary to the hate in the comments which is embarrassing you guys it's like well, stop being mean to the guests it's ridiculous don't mind them
2: oh and, I can't even see them don't worry Okay, <laughs> good. don't worry about them but no, it's it, the
1: internet. I mean, and, you know it, Well, they're upset that we don't ask more biting questions. And
2: it's like ask me a biting question.
1: Go for no, it. No, I don't do it. want to. I'm not a journalist. <laughs> I'm not a hardcore investigative reporter. I am just somebody who will platform non-corporate. They want us talk,
0: to talk, They they want us to talk about why you got into Twitter spats with Jabari and people like that. Like, guys, that doesn't I'll,
2: oh, so I'll no answer, answer it. I, you know, Jabari's um great. I supported him in his first city council race. Uh no one was showing up then and And we platformed him at TYT and I supported him. And, um, and you know, I'm, I'm, it's unfortunate that, um, he didn't reach out to me before he started to tweet. And, uh, we talked on the phone and I was not able to, um, reach him into understanding why somebody, uh, has the right to run in this race in this district. And, you know, and the process that they decided on was for different district. And so, um, I look forward to working with him in the Senate. Yeah,
0: that is a good answer. That is a great way to close. No, so Mickey Kahn's <laughs> candidate for New York's 59th district. love you
2: guys. Thank you for everything. You are fighting the fight, you've been doing it all along. I know both of you from your work along the way. It takes so much courage to do what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. See you
0: soon, my friend.
1: Bye,
2: Have a good night. See you. Bye. Well, Jen. Well,
1: and, no, I think she's lovely. And I, I see, look, there's people that obviously have been following her and know of her for a long time in the progressive and the left circles, and they have whatever opinions they have. And she's been on air for a very long time. And in that amount of time, people say different things, opinions they say and have are different and grow and change. And so the reason I wouldn't ask her about her stance on Libya is because she's running for New York State Senate. It doesn't matter what her stance is on Libya, to be honest with you. So and you're talking about something she said at whatever. T- I just it's not relevant right now. Michael. No, to- and
0: I think that and, and again, um, you know, Kelly Clarkson, Negroni, all you guys, we love you. And we we have no qualms about you. If you do not like No that's perfectly fine. There is no issue there. Um, I just believe in the democratic process. Um, yes. You'd be surprised the lengths that people will go to to try to prevent people from running And if you really want to see the lengths that people will go to to prevent people from running, wait till you see our next guest, because he is a friend of the show and he's going to become a political heavyweight due to what I like to call the Streisand effect of politics by trying every which way possible to ensure that this person can't run for office. It only exposes the complete hypocrisy within the corrupted system that we live in. But you guys know him now because he's running for the U.S. Senate on the Green Party ticket in Jen's favorite state in the Union, North Carolina. And he is, of course, Matthew Ho. Welcome back to Generational Change.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um, you see, I have my Asheville. I'm in Asheville now. So I have my little backdrop going.
3: Uh, I am. Are you in Asheville? I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to be in Hot Springs in uh, a week and a half.
1: That's, I've never, I've never been that far up. Like I always get here and then I'm such like a little homebody when I'm here, but um, just being able to be outside in the summer is something that people in Florida don't really have. We can't, you can't be outside in the summer in Florida. It's just too Well,
3: We're like that here in my part of the state, the Piedmont, the central part of the state, it's like an anvil right now, you know, was uh, about a hundred today. Uh, And so I don't know what the heat index was, but it's just, you know, uh, uh, we get that heat dome as well, but we can go to the beach and we can go to the mountains, which makes, you know, even if I wasn't running for U.S. Senate for North Carolina, you know, I'd still be cheerleading for this. We really do. We have some of the most beautiful mountains and best beaches in the world. You know, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, but um, but I hope you enjoy your time out there.
1: I, and so let's let's get into it, because if people haven't been following what's going on, Matthew is um, was a candidate working to get on the ballot as the Green Party candidate for U.S. Senate in North Carolina. And apparently there have been shocking. I'm so shocked to know this, that the Democratic Party was playing shenanigans to keep you off the ballot. Right. This is the story.
3: Correct. There, there are two parts to the story. One is what the State Board of Elections did, denying us certification, even after we have met all the requirements. And then the other part is the involvement of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, the DSCC, and the Elias Law Firm, which is Mark Elias' firm, uh, Firm Mark Elias, arguably being the most prominent Democratic attorney in the nation, and they run in parallel to each other. Most pressing for us right now was what happened with the state board of elections again denying us certification, even though we met all the requirements. Um, you know, it was a, a what was shocking about it. It was how brazen it was. I, I think that's what's got people's jaws open. Uh, talking to people who've involved in politics for thirty years, journalists who've been following this for decades, and they said they they've never seen anything like it in terms of just how overt. The partisan decision was.
1: So what happens now? So for people who don't know, you were doing it by ballot petition, by petition signatures to get on the ballot, um, which we know from personal experience is extremely daunting task to do. Uh, And you went way over and above what was necessary, which we know you have to do because there's going to be ones that should get thrown out like they're supposed to be the bad ones right. but they then basically have disqualified how many and for what reason and so like say what what's been going on like what they're challenging
3: well we don't even really know and that's part of the issue here is uh they have not been uh 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 clear about any of this uh so just to back it up yeah we need to get North Carolina Green Party on the ballot. We needed 13,865 valid signatures. And as Jen says, when you turn in signatures, they have to get verified. And, you know, you're dealing with roughly 70%, 75% verification rate. So every three out of every four signatures you turn and get accepted. That's kind of like the rule of thumb, I guess, a rule to go by. And uh, so we needed 13,865. We turned in 22,500 and of that, 15,953 were verified by the county boards of election. So we are over by almost 2100. Um, We met every deadline. We met all the requirements, did everything procedurally correct, Uh, received no complaints whatsoever. So we were out there. Uh, We got twenty two thousand five hundred signatures. We talked to at least twice that many people. You know, so over months we spoke to fifty thousand people, at least no one ever called up the state board of elections or the county boards of elections and said, hey, these guys are out here doing something shady. Right. So this is how we go into our submittal of our uh, petitions to be certified as a new political party. On June 1st with the state, because, again, the county is very verified, everything state statute says that the, after the counties verify, verified, we bring our petitions to the state, the state then immediately and forthwith, according to the the language, then certifies us. The state took the full 30 days it had because there is a July 1st deadline as well for us to be uh, on the ballot. And that included us having to hold a nominating convention, having to have our candidates register as green party members, having to go and file for candidacy, you know, so right off the bat, this is, this is obviously orchestrated because the state decides state board of elections decides not to hold a certification hearing until June 30th, uh, June 30th, giving us less than 24 hours to accomplish all those other things to meet that July one deadline. Now, We have been aware that signatures were denied, right? Uh, You know, thousands were. That's normal part of the process. Uh, The State Board of Elections brought to our attention that about 200 signatures were significant enough to warrant investigation. Again, 200 signatures out of 22,500. None of those 200 signatures ever counted towards our validated count towards being certified. So we go into the certification meeting on Thursday. And what we were told by the State Board of Elections, and this is contra to what the investigators had literally told us two days before when we last spoke with them. They said the State Board of Elections, to summarize it, they said because there were these irregularities, there could be more. And so we need more time to investigate. But because tomorrow is the deadline, we don't have that time. So we're going to vote. And because there's this cloud, as the executive director of the State Board of Elections described it, over the whole process, we are not going to certify. And that was our experience. It was a partisan, three Democrats and two Republicans. Uh, you know, they were uh, when our attorney, we were not allowed to ask any questions Uh, we were not really engaged in the process at all. When our attorney tried to ask a question about, you know, Mr. Chairman, do any of what you're talking about, these could be more uh, problems that you're describing, but not giving us any detail and certainly never showing us any evidence or let alone in the last 30 days communicating to us anything about this besides the 200 signatures that we knew about. These could be signatures. Do any of them apply to our verified count? And the chair, refused to answer. Then he falsely claimed that we were under criminal investigation, so he didn't have to answer, which, again, was a false claim. Um, And then when our attorney tried to follow up, uh, the chair of the State Board of Elections shouted him down and muted his microphone. And then they voted, and we were not certified.
0: This Damien Sarkosta seems to be a front man for the party uh, machine. Uh, What can you share in terms of the knowledge you've obtained since this
3: meeting? Um, you know, I, I think it's it's not so specific to Damon Sacosta. He fills a role. You know, none of the members of the Board of State Board of Elections were chosen because they are election law specialists or because they have a real passion for democracy. You know, they're chosen because of their party loyalty, that when a circumstance like this occurred, they could be counted on to do what was right for the party. Not for principle, not for the law, not for the people, the state, certainly not for the tens of thousands of people who petitioned to have us on the ballot. Right. I mean, so he is actually he's emblematic of the issues that we're we're, we're, we're campaigning against, the the two party system in general. Right. This is validating everything we are saying, why we are trying to create and build a multi-party democracy, because the two party system is corrupt. It's undemocratic and it's harmful. You know, and so what you have with a guy like Sarcosta, and I want to make it clear, if we were if I was a conservative candidate, if we were a conservative party, you know, if we were the libertarians, it would have been the other way around. The Republicans would have had the same arguments that Democrats use and Democrats would have been supportive of us. I mean, so it, it's just not a Democratic Party thing. This is, again, A two party issue, the idea that the two party exists simply to protect itself, more importantly, to protect its big money donors, you know, and that's what they don't want. It's not about not key. It's not about me not being on the ballot or, you know, uh, uh, the Green Party not being on the ballot. It's about the issues we represent not being on the ballot. Right. Single payer health care, affordable housing, uh, real action on the climate, ending the war on drugs and annualized living wage. All these things that are real dangers, the big donors of both the parties. That's what they want to keep off the ballot.
1: That was just, a good question you had up that you put up, Peter. And I just want to at least put it out there because we have somebody in the chat that wants to know why you didn't consider um, running as a Democrat. And to me, the obvious answer is because you're probably not a Democrat. So why would it. you run as one? But- <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, that's the answer. Um, I've never been one. Um, uh, uh, you know, I'm a socialist. I don't belong in the capitalist party. Uh, you know, and the, Democratic Party, again, I think maybe it's easier just to say it this way. If you believe the two party system is, is, is corrupt, undemocratic and harmful, then why participate in it? What, where would my principles be if I was to take part in the Democratic Party because it would be easier for me or because it would be a, a better way to ensure I had greater funding or a bigger staff, or, you know, I mean, to earn my chops and favors within the party. So no, I belong in the Green Party. I'm aligned with their principles. I'm aligned with their platform. I'm a socialist. I don't belong in a Democratic Party. I don't agree with the two-party system, so I not, should not be contributing to it. I should be working to change it. And I think that's probably about as succinct as I can state it.
0: Well, you're going to end up getting, like I said, the sand effect as a result. Their decision to basically try to thwart your efforts to be on the ballot. And we all know that North Carolina is a toss-up state in the general election in November. Um, but the Democrats are trying to pull a dirty political trick. And, and I got to push back. I mean, listen, I got a lot of problems with the GOP. And obviously, their platform is, is considerably worse in many respects. Um, but they really don't. Th- they obviously want to suppress the vote. That's their mission. But they don't stop the libertarians from getting on ballots the way that the Democrats stopped Greens from getting on ballots. This is almost like a cottage industry now. And when we saw what they were able to accomplish in Wisconsin, and now they're trying to do it here. But this is a little bit different because the country as a whole is getting fed up with this ish, if you will. Uh, This is a rudderless republic right now uh, for somebody who has served in combat and knows uh, just how detrimental our whole military infrastructure is, how our economic infrastructure is, it's cratering right now. And the fact that they're playing these dirty games, they really don't understand that they're in in a way they're kind of doing you a favor.
3: Yeah, you know, um, one, why they thought we would give up, I don't understand. They uh, certainly didn't read my bio or know the people I have on my campaign. Uh, they certainly did if one of the things that threatens them too is seeing what our campaign did when I was starting this and I'm a first time political candidate uh, you know, I was told you're going to have to bring in petitioning firms to do this. There's no way you're going to collect those signatures without bringing in professional petitioners and paying five, six, seven, eight $8 a signature. And uh, we said, well, we can't afford that. But also too, that's not how we really want to do this. We want to do it with our people. And so 95% of the signatures that we collected that the work was done was done with our people it was done with campaign members green party members socialist Independents, leftists they were the ones out there doing that work and about five percent came from a contracting firm that we brought in towards the end to make sure we had enough. And actually we've got issues with them right now. And that's where those 200 signatures that had irregularities that were, you know, basically doctored, that's where that goes back to, you know, and and that's something we've agreed with and worked with the state board of elections on for 30 days on that. So this idea that somehow we were complicit or hiding something is just, there's no basis to that, but no, exactly. um, You know, this, Proves our point, right? This validates what we are doing, what we're trying to accomplish, and why we need to change the system. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 this is the the nature, I think, of a, a, a system that is dying. And you mentioned before how unsustainable we are, particularly economically. We just had a report come out. A report came out a couple of weeks ago from the Urban Institute. One in four North Carolina adults are in collections for medical debt. One in four in collections, not in debt, in collections for medical debt, right? How is how can you just just take away the morality of it, the justice of it, all that stuff? But just how can you look at that and say this in any way is a good thing for our economy? This in any way is something that's sustainable when one in four adults are in collections for medical debt. That doesn't include student debt or credit card debt or or anything else. Right. I mean, so what you have is you have a system that is failing. And I mean, what we're trying to do here is, you know, reverse that, stop it, everything else. But also, you know, there's two points to the campaign as far as I'm concerned. One is accountability. One of the fact that we, we've had no accountability for the wars, whether the wars overseas, the wars here at home. You know, whether it be the war on drugs or the crime against humanity at their border, you know, the, no, no accountability for the racial injustices. Right. No accountability for the economic injustices. And then the other is to provide some form of remedy for the people in my life, the people in the lives of the people who are on my campaign and in our party who are suffering. I mean, every one of us comes to this because of the experience of people we love. People in our lives who have to check their checking account before they go to the doctor. People in my neighborhood who have lost their homes, who've had to move because a corporation has come in and bought that home. That is happening to people I know. You know I mean, and this is why we're doing this. We can go on and on about those those reasons. So, I mean, there's a, there's a very real uh, uh, personal aspect to this, as well as to that larger understanding that our system, uh, I mean, this is the, I don't want to get too far in the weeds of you know, why we're at this point, but this is the result of five decades of economic policies by both parties that have done everything to squeeze money to the top at the expense of the working class and now increasingly at the expense of the middle class. And at some point it will collapse.
1: Yeah, we always talk about that. Like I really look at where we are now is like the implosion late stage capitalist mm. um, system. And, you know, people get so freaked out when they hear the word socialist, like they'd have no clue what they're talking about. Most, And that's that's, I think, a testament to our failure of an education system um, mm-hmm. that people don't know the difference between socialism, communism and fascism. But the reason we are where we are is because we have completely commodified services that are not meant to be for profit industries in this country. Right. And people don't realize that. And they and they really don't understand what socialism is. They equate right. that with authoritarianism by looking at countries that they say are socialist, but their problem isn't that they're socialist. The problem is that they're authoritarian. Right. Um, and that's the problem is ignorance. And when you come out and say I'm a socialist, people get all kind of weird. and <laughs> I look, I've been called a communist, but I also would be happy to wear a uniform. So, you know, and live in standard housing and drive a regular car. You guys, Peter, I don't understand why we have more than three sizes of cars. Like, I think it should be like small, medium, large. <laughs> um, so I, I so get it. Um, and people want to just keep sitting there and thinking they can fix capitalism. Right. And it, it, it can't be fixed because it's working exactly as it's designed to work. So it, it's sort of like they're not understanding that.
3: Right. You know, I had this conversation earlier today with somebody um, talking about how uh, in say, say the case of student debt cancellation, people don't want other people to have their debt canceled. You know, as my friend says, it's kind of like I had lead poisoning yeah. when I was a kid. So you should have lead poisoning, too. You I mean, that's <laughs> the logic, right? I mean, it's it's nuts. But, you know, also to this idea that, you know, someone else should get something that I didn't get. And that and he said, you know, the how did we get to that point? And I said, it's because that's the capitalist system we live in. Everything is squeezed to the top and you have to climb your way to it. And if you're not, you're going to be pushed down and kept down. And people see that and they feel that. You know, and this desire to for economic supremacy, whether it be through the fact that uh, uh, we have a, a, a system of, of, of uh, corporations in our country that continue to get smaller as we see this monopolization taking place or on the bottom at our level, people fighting to survive. You know, that constant, you've got to keep moving forward or else you will die. I go back to Steinbeck, you know, in The Grapes of Wrath, you know, when he's talking about the banks and he says, uh, you know, the guy comes to take the home and he describes the bank and he describes the bank as a living organism. That if it doesn't continue to grow, it will die. And that's what capitalism is. If it doesn't continue to consume, take more. And who does it take from? It takes from As we've seen for decades, the working class and now as we're seeing very clearly because there's there's polling out that shows almost two thirds of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So this idea that somehow there's some divide between the working class and middle class anymore, you know, really doesn't hold up because, as said, almost two thirds of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck.
1: We have a question. Uh, Do you support cash reparations for American descendants of slaves?
3: I do. I do. I, I, I you know, it shouldn't be viewed as charity. But that's paying off a debt. Right. Um, and I, it's I so think basic. it's yeah, so I think it's well. But, you know, for white folks, it really is. It's it's it, it's and reparations are, are much greater than that. First, I should stop talking and just said this should let me just say first, because I'll get myself in trouble talking too much because you can obviously tell I like to hear myself talk. But like the you know, this should be black led. And the folks who have been victimized by hundreds of years of racial injustice, of oppression, of of all the things that occurred to build up this immense wealth at their expense, along with Native Americans and and people from, uh, you know, uh, Latinos and and folks from Asia and everything else, uh, who we literally murdered in order to build our wealth. Um, Yes, they should be compensated. It's a form of debt. But reparations need to go much further because like anything. Uh, Look, Jim Crow was ended. How long did it take until the Nixon administration put into place the war on drugs? You know, I mean, this is just the way capitalism and imperialism work. you got to keep the hierarchy in place. you got to keep this caste system in place. You know, it's similar to, you know, imperialism. It was about three years between the time that the last Native American tribe was subjugated and the United States staged a coup in Hawaii. You know, I mean, so as soon as we took this landmass... Then we jumped off to other places. Right. And that's the same way. These systems evolve again. Go back to Steinbeck. It's the bank is a living organism it has to grow. It has to evolve. And that's what racism is. And that's under particularly under capitalism. And so if reparations don't include some type of remedy to prevent that from happening again. So it has to be much more than just cash, uh, uh, you know, cash payments. And, and again, a paying off a of debt, not charity. Uh, yeah. You know, so, yeah. But no, so I certainly do support reparations.
1: I always like to distinguish between those things because it's really a twofold situation. The the reparations for American descendants of slaves is literally a debt that we owe. We owe them that money. And it is an actual amount of money that is owed to descendants of American slaves. That is separate from what I believe needs to be a grander scheme of reparations for Blacks because it's a color issue. We have anti-Blackness, and that is even for Blacks that came here post-slavery. You know, you have Blacks that came here in the 70s or 80s or whenever that have still been subjugated to our crap and our systemic racism, but they're not necessarily entitled to the same, to whatever that debt is owed to American descendants of slaves. So I think there's like two different things that are being talked about, but I, to me, you pay your debts when they're owed
3: that's exactly right as well as to the continual oppression again the war on drugs i think is the most salient example of that how that has been used to to crush uh tens of millions of families and and keep uh black communities under the thumb um and i you know and then there's other aspects of this too i mean we see look you could you could be shot a young black man is shot 60 times for running away from the police uh in ohio drive two states over and you can kill seven people out of parade and be taken into custody if you're white. I mean, so, and we see that over and over and over and over again. It doesn't, I mean, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm almost, uh, I'll be 50 years old next, next week. My last dress beating ticket you know, and this is kind of glib, this is kind of flip, but I think it illustrates the point that how I live my life compared to my black friends. My last speeding ticket was like 1992 or 1993. You know, I, I, my, my my friends, they get pulled over at least twice a year. You know, my neighbor's kids over there, those boys, they have a one in three chance of going to prison. My white nephews, that's what it's like one in 19, one in 20. You know, I mean, like, so it's like that reality too, that we have to take on the men and it has to be black led. It can't be some dude who looks like me saying yeah. this is how we're going to do it. I mean, that'd be the absolute worst thing to do. I mean, the worst thing to do would be to continue the system we have. Like maybe the second worst thing would be like, hey, Matt Ho, what do you want to do about black people? You know, <laughs> OK, let black people be in charge of that. You know, I mean, like, well, it is, a, it's, you is, know, it's this, this is. you know, and this is, you know, and this applies to a whole host of other issues too, where we, you know, we have this prominence as white folks that we just step into. You know, and I had to be corrected on that in the sense of being like, hey, why don't you lead off with, you know, because I, I'm sincere. I want change to happen, but also, too, I'm coming out of almost 50 years of being a white guy. So I need the help, you know, uh, you know, in that sense of, of, you know, what the problem has been, has been we have not allowed people the opportunity to control their own lives, their own destiny. It, effectively through government policies. And that's what we have to enable, You know, not just for one community or another, but for all our communities.
0: We're speaking with Matthew Ho, running from the Green Party ticket for the U.S. Senate in North Carolina. You know, one of the things that's also become sort of this point of contention, and Jen likes to point this out constantly, because it's not about the party, it's about the candidate. You are a great candidate who happens to be running in a rudderless party. And so when the attachment of the word green very often gets mistaken for, Jen, how do you refer to the greens?
1: Okay, my thing about green is it's just really bad branding and it presents as a very niche, tree-hugging, hippie, environmental thing when we know that it's obviously a lot more than that. And I think that the third party we need to have needs to be a labor party and a much broader appeal. And I've always looked at the green party as, and by the way, I agree with the platform of the green party. Like that's a no brainer. And I voted green in 16, like it's, you know, but I think in terms of its ability to become any bigger or broader, it's limited because it does seem niche. I, that's just my marketing thoughts.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, the Green Party is the only party I've ever registered with um, because it was available here in North Carolina as a party that I identified with a, a pro worker party, a pro-environment, pro environment. I mean, basically pro, uh, you know, people, planet, profit. Or I'm sorry, people, planet peace over profit, you know, that type of tagline. Um, but certainly, too, as a you know, how I identify economically, politically, you know, this is the right home for me because it's what is available. I don't believe green. You know, they came to me and asked me to run, you know, and I am happy to do that and do what I can to help build this, build this movement. But I'm also very much a big believer in a party that exists for itself. Well, that's what we have now, with the Democrat and Republican parties. And that any political party that we build must be part of a larger movement, that the political party can only be an arm of the larger body, that it does the political functions. And there are a mass number of other functions that must occur in this movement, labor organizing being one, education and communications, direct action, uh, you know, and civil disobedience, uh, mutual aid. I mean, all those different types of things, building our communities, you know, that's part of the larger body of our movement and the political party is just an appendage to that because it has to be responsible to its constituency. And once it starts existing for itself, you know, basically just, uh, 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 you know, surviving on its own ideology, as opposed to really belonging to a larger movement, then you get what we have now.
0: That's an excellent point. Um, what are your thoughts on the forward party obviously we're very friendly with andrew yang we know that he is very much a capitalist but i don't think is averse to um, a number of socialistic uh, style policies uh but it seems that if anybody really has sort of like the the macro vision in mind that really is necessary that i don't think the greens or frankly even the libertarians have I think that that is where uh, his vision does come into play. Any thoughts on what he's doing? Because obviously his primary focus initially appears to be ranked choice voting and open primaries. First past the post voting is the biggest obstacle for any third party movement. There are people who, even if you are, happen to be and should be on the ballot in November, uh, there are people who are very much going to want to support you. But there are way too many people that still will say, "Yeah, but we can't let this party win, or we can't let that party win." So I have to vote for one of these two parties. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on the forward party? What their initial mission is, and whether or not that's something you would consider down the road?
3: Yeah, uh, I, I admire uh, Andrew for what he did. You know, he entered into politics, he saw what it was like, he had the experience, and he said, "This is this is wrong. This is corrupt. This is not sustainable. This is harmful." And he is now trying to build something else. Uh, I agree with his attitude on our democracy uh, or, the, you know, I think I think at this point we all when we say our democracy, we put that in quotes. Right. I mean, like because it is yeah. we are so limited and it is so broken and so unfair. And again, three white folks talking about this, you know, a lot of other folks didn't get to participate in our democracy for quite a while, you know, um, so. But you know, I admire what Andrew's doing, and I, I think he's on the right track. And I think this fact that he is he is really specifying that this is the goal of the Ford party is to you know expand our democracy, strengthen it, make it more inclusive. I think that's a really great strategy because it, he's not getting tied up into other issues. I know he he is, he is, he does uh, promote uh, UBI and, you know, universal basic income and some other issues, but really I, when I've heard him talking, it is about the, you know, strengthening expansion, uh, more inclusivity in our democracy. And that's something that I agree with certainly ranked choice voting. Look, we, we I, I kind of have three, three points to the strategy here that as I see it for What I'm taking part in one is to build the party that's part of this larger movement. One is to in a similar vein to what happened, say, with the populist or people's party, the socialist party, the progressive parties from 1880 to like 1920s, where they ran on, say, like labor issues. And they were so popular that that put pressure on the Democrats and Republicans to assume some of that. Right. So, look, I don't care who gives our people single payer health care as long as they get it. Right. I mean, so it doesn't have to come from a third party independent thing. I'd be happy if the Republicans did it as as long as our people get it right. You know, and then the third thing is to disrupt the system so that it has to change. I reject the notion of being a spoiler. I welcome the identification of being a disruptor. That's what we are trying to do. We are trying to disrupt the two party system, put such stress on it, such pressure on it, make it hurt so that it has to change. Right. This idea that if we continue, uh, not just us, but, you know, uh, say PSL, Socialist Alternative, we get independents on the right, libertarians, Constitution Party, other folks. If we are consistently having races where there are three, four, five candidates, that totally messes up the first past the post system. And at some point, both parties have to realize we are the two main parties, the corporate parties have to realize we are hurting ourselves by allowing this to continue like this and adopt the reforms that we're talking about, such as ranked choice voting. I'm a big believer in proportional representation. I mean, that's a certainly a much longer, farther down the road thing. But, you know, the point is, though, is a uh, there's only two or three other nations in the world that have our form of democracy. You know, there's only two or three other nations in the world that, that have this type of 50 plus one. It really only works for two parties. And as many of us know, in many parts of the U.S., you know, you go to vote and everything's so gerrymandered that there may not even be a candidate you know looking at the primaries here in North Carolina uh, majority of, of in the House races uh, in, in North Carolina majority of, of the repu- of the races were, were unopposed you know yeah. and you know and you see that over and over again uh, so yeah I mean that that's like that the three tiered the three pronged strategy I have for what we're trying to do here and why and how we're trying to force change and then on a tactical level going out there and actually doing it
1: I wanted to address this thing here. Yeah. Did you see that?
2: Okay, yeah, I,
1: I can. I can answer this, Roger. To me, that screams violative of the Tenth Amendment. So I'm, I'm not gonna. You know, I, I think that that's just not something that that can be done. You're, you're essentially asking for a federal statute to force states to allow amendments to constitutions. And I, I mean, I just don't. I think it's a violation of the Tenth Amendment. Matthew, do you have a different take on that?
3: No, I, I, I generally like the idea of, of more direct democracy. And I've seen some um, I have seen some examples of how that would occur. But I think you're right about the 10th Amendment, um, you know, which may, reminds me, you know, my favorite amendment is the Ninth Amendment, which I think after the third right with quartering, people know that the least. I wanted to be
1: a Third Amendment specialist, actually, (laughs) when I was in law school because everybody was fighting over everything else. And I'm like, I'm going to specialize in Third Amendment law. And we even joked about starting a society like the Third Amendment Society. Hey, Lord knows nowadays
0: nowadays people really need housing. If there ever was the amendment that kind of is in line with guaranteed housing, it is the Third Amendment. (laughs)
3: Yeah, but I mean, like you know, so no, I I think you're right. You're probably right about that. Uh, I have a story about my law school experience was a week long in 1995. So uh, yeah, I'm probably not the person you want to ask about that.
0: That's very that that's fair. Um, but one of the last topics that we would like to discuss with you, which I think is very important, and I think is one of your no pun intended Trump cards, is uh, you're a veteran, and yeah. there are really not enough. Current and former servicemen and women who are running for office. On the um, left. Uh, uh, well, just well, yeah, on, the left on, the left. on the left especially. On the left especially. And uh, one of the things that I don't think gets talked about enough is um, whether or not you agree with her politics or not, the level of disrespect that was thrown at fellow servicewoman Tulsi Gabbard when she mm-hmm. ran for president, going so far as to call her a traitor, uh, which was done uh, repeatedly uh, at the behest of uh, Hillary Clinton, as well as um, that stupid uh, Trump cartoon show that they put, I guess, on HBO or Showtime, whatever it was. And they refer to her specifically as a Russian asset. And I'm just thinking this is a service member. This is a person who is not only you know, that hasn't only served our country, is currently serving it, and currently serves in a medical unit. She's the person who is helping save lives on the battlefield. It's like their Democratic Party has a really big problem with respecting veterans. But I really think whether it is the Democratic Party, whether it is the Green Party, the importance of veterans who, especially, have an anti war lean need to be running for office because right now, DeSantis is absolutely tracking to the White House and his military credentials, in my opinion, in Jen's opinion, is going to play a huge role when he runs. And I don't think there are enough people who really understand that. I think you do. Please speak about the importance of respecting our veterans and seeing what happened in Tulsi's Tulsi's case and how it is so very important to have more people on the left who have served to be running for office.
3: Well, you know, um, I know Tulsi, I've worked with her. uh, I've worked with uh, some legislation uh, with her staff and folks, uh, including um, legislation that several years ago uh, would have made uh, going to war without congressional approval an impeachable offense. Uh, you know, one or two steps beyond the War Powers Act. I worked with her and with uh, Walter Jones, from the late Walter Jones from North Carolina, who represented Camp Lejeune. Walter Jones, along with Ron Paul, was probably the most anti-war Republican in the House for 15 or so years. And he represented Camp Lejeune. I mean, you see that over and over again. Someone like Tulsi, who did speak out against the wars, uh, representing Hawaii, which is a, a, a massive military state. Um, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not a, a supporter of Tulsi. I disagree with her on a number of things, but I think I believe she is sincere. Um, I think what you saw with the whole she's a Russian spy, that's just effective politics. They, they've been using the Russian card for 100 years. The British have been using the Russian card for almost 200 years. You go back to the 1850s, they were yelling at each other in parliament over who loved the czar more. You know, what I mean, so it is an effective uh, red baiting. And it comes to me is, is, you know, when I was in college, I worked in this law firm, big law firm up in, in, in Boston. And um, there had been a guy there named Joe Welch. And Joe Welch became famous across America because he was the first one who really fought back against Joseph McCarthy. Because remember, McCarthy and the Republicans, Nixon, but the Democrats really didn't do too much to fight McCarthy. They went after People in the intelligence community, people in the State Department, people in the Department of Defense against veterans. And Welch finally lost it. And he yelled at McCarthy and said, have you no decency? And of course, the answer is no. McCarthy had no decency. But the, 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 the idea that that was seen across the nation and people were galvanized by it. And that's what we're experiencing here. We, we just have to accept that these people have no decency. And then it doesn't matter if it's a veteran, it, does, it, it, it could be a line worker who goes out there in the worst of storms and the worst of conditions, you know, risking his or her life to make sure that people have power in their communities. It could be any of our healthcare staff who over these last couple of years have, have exposed themselves to great harm. I mean, like the level of heroes that we have, the number of heroes we have in our community that are forgotten about or pushed away or disrespected, it's a real problem for us because our politics, the two party system, is a very undecent thing. I mean, I, I think for me, I guess the idea is, it, it, it is that when you have a system where 40 to 50% of Republicans say Democrats are evil, when you have 40 to 50% of Democrats saying Republicans are evil, that's a winning hand to run on. That's, you know, that's whole identity politics, the red versus blue, using the other. You know, I mean, and, and so what you want to do is demonize, demonize, demonize. And that's exactly what happened to Tulsi. Is this, this I, I would say to my fellow veterans out there, those who are still hurting, who are still angry about the wars that I am. And I'll tell you that, you know, when you get into my personal reasons for running, it's people in my life, like I talked about that I loved, but there's also people in my life that are gone. You know, people who are dead because of these wars, not just Americans, but Iraqis and Afghans. And the level of anger I have for my fellow veterans out there who possess that same anger, use that. If you want to honor, if you want to try and do something for those we lost to these wars built on lies, let alone to all the other issues we're talking about, then you have to use your anger and try and get some accountability and get some justice.
1: I always say that every year, I feel like on Memorial Day and Veterans Day, I'm like, the best way to honor people that are no longer with us and people that have served is to stop sending people to war for profit. Thank and this, this brings me back a little bit to what you were saying about how people don't like the idea of paying off debt because they had to pay theirs. This complete lack of regard for the importance of the collective and the nature of that we're taught that if someone else gets something, well, that means you must get less. Like everything right high and so we have to fight to hold on and then we allow the powers that be to convince us that we need to kick down and and that's basically what we're seeing over and over whether it's immigration or russians or whoever it is it's like we just always have to be looking for enemies and it's it's just so ridiculous and before we get too serious i'm just going to tell you um our friend Mallory is like kind of crushing on you and apparently she wants you to know that she is also a Unitarian Universalist oh okay Uh, me too okay Mallory
3: all right go you use
1: there you go so yeah Matthew uh, Matthew, if you're you know Mallory just calm down there
0: (laughs) he's a good friend as we close, uh, what is the current status of the lawsuit? What are the odds that you will ultimately be able to prevail and get on the ballot? And how can people help to ensure that you do? And if and for whatever reason you are prevented, is there an opportunity for you to get on the ballot as an independent for the general?
3: Uh, let me start with that first one first. Absolutely not. Not nah, as an independent. You know, all the states are different in terms of their ballot access. For whatever reason, North Carolina hates independence more than it hates uh, third parties. So <laughs> we needed 13,865 signatures to get on the ballot as a party. If I had run as an independent, I would have needed 83,000 signatures, uh, wow. which, right? I mean, unless you're Michael Bloomberg, how do you do that? You know, I mean, like, <laughs> I just uh, pay for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that's what you'd have to do. I mean, it, it, so, um, you know, we are pursuing all the various options we have legal administration and political. I, I can't comment right now. Um, but, you know, again, if anyone thought that we are the kind of people who are just going to say, oh, we lost, we're going to come back next year and try again. No, that's absolutely not it. I could have a a lot of, uh, foul mouthed expressions I can use right now. And I'm trying to, you know, not do that, but no, we are going to fight this. We need people's assistance. Um, we do have a deadline coming up that is I think is the ultimate goal of the state board of elections and the democratic party is the printing deadline in mid August. You know, and that's something the State Board of Elections has already said that that is a, a deadline for them. Uh, you know, so this idea that we have to get everything done next five or six weeks. And I'm confident we can do
1: that. Mallory.
0: <laughs> hey, so you got uh, a lot of you got a lady a lot of lady admirers out there, man. So <laughs> what, what's um, uh, the yeah. website that people could sign up at if they want to lend
3: Yeah, uh it's uh Matthew Ho for senate.org. Uh please go to the website. Uh please donate if you can. Encourage others to donate. We are up against. Uh, the Democratic Party machine. We really didn't get into the DSCC and the Elias law firm, but they bring in, They brought in their biggest guns right away. There's no one in the bullpen past Elias. You know, we are in this fight. This is the fight that we want. And so, if you agree with us, if you want to see us successful, please donate and encourage others to donate because this really is a David versus Goliath thing. But I'm incredibly confident that we will be victorious, and that I, I think too we have to look at this as what kind of precedent this can set, both legally and politically, if we're successful, which we will be, uh, you know, in terms of, of what this will do for a movement on the left across the country?
0: I think that's an excellent point. But before you do go, um, if you could just briefly update the audience exactly. Um, a lot of people don't know who Mark Elias is and what he does. Um, right. He's basically a cleaner is is what I like to call these types of attorneys. Yeah. He is paid an exorbitant amount of money that I don't think people really can understand. When you think about attorneys that can command as much as two to $5,000 an hour for their services, um, that is what uh, he is. He is the biggest Democratic uh, attorney power broker in Washington, D.C., um, and he's only called in for the biggest of big circumstances. So the fact that they felt the need to bring him into this says a lot.
3: Yeah, it does. It does. And uh, this is the fight that we want. This is why we're doing this. And we're happy for this fight. Uh, you know, there's the strides and effect like you're talking about, but also, too, there's the um, the moral aspects of this, the, the 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 aspects that cut to who we are, why we're doing this and who we're up against. and And, and so we are grateful for this fight. And we're looking forward to it and we will win it. And Mark Elias, if you don't know who he is, go to his Wikipedia page. You'll see that he was general counsel for John Kerry, for uh, Hillary Clinton, for Kamala Harris. He, is inv- he has been involved in all level of dirty tricks, all level of, of legal actions. Uh, in fact, if you talk to the people in the Green Party, they will tell you that Mark Elias in 2004, when he was John Kerry's counsel, uh, he really perfected this, what we're seeing now in terms of going after third parties and independence that they really established their game plan then. And when they went after the Green Party and Nader in oh, 2004, yeah, Nader. yeah Nader. probably for vengeance for 2000 as they saw it, because they're so myopic and they're so uh, consumed with their own reality that, that, you know, they have to follow their own narrative. So, but, you know, I mean, th- this is who we're up against. It's, it's Leviathan. Uh, you know, this is, it's clear about that. Uh, you know, and so, yeah, your people supporting us is what we need, uh, to defeat them.
0: Guys, go to yeah, org. get over there, give him a hand. This is just the beginning, and this is kind of like an Obi-Wan Kenobi type situation. If they do strike him down, he will become more powerful than they could possibly imagine. So much so, as I have joked, and I'm sure you heard about it on social media, I said, oh, please make sure he doesn't get on the ballot, because exactly what you need is for him to run for president with <laughs> a, uh, with, um, what, what's, uh, what the hell is that word? Uh. I'm forgetting that word, Jen. Um, with a mandate, let mandate. let somebody run on a third party ticket with a mandate to run for president. Basically, say, okay, you want to screw me in the Senate? I'll screw you in the whole goddamn country. That'll well, be
3: fun. yeah. I mean, and I have that level of anger. And what you just said about the presidency, okay. I've I've never even whatever. Uh, first of all, I'll say I'm, I'm more of a Han Solo guy. Uh, just mm-hmm. to put that out there, to be clear about that. But hot
0: shot um, <laughs> though.
3: You're not Han, the I, I have the I, I wear a T-shirt that says Han shot first. Yeah. Well, but um, you're not yeah. going to
1: shoot first. Han, shit, Han did shoot first did. and when they changed it, when he changed it, it ruined the whole thing. And then you've got a whole generation of people that don't know what happened.
3: Exactly. That's exactly right. It is. It is. But you know, this anger, you know, just to be clear about what I plan on doing in the U S Senate is to be their worst enemy. You know, in the Marine <laughs> Corps, we had a slogan, no better friend, no worse enemy. And I'll be no better friend to the people who put me in office, no worse enemy to those people in power. Uh, and they are not getting their $15 billion aircraft carriers if our people don't get health care. That's that simple.
0: Shouldn't get, they shouldn't get it anyway. They but shouldn't get it, it anyway.
3: Have, but yeah, if you,
0: if you want somebody in your foxhole, you want somebody like Matthew Ho. Matthew Ho for Senate.org. Get over there, guys.
3: Thank you so much for coming on, my friend.
0: Thank
2: you, Matthew.
3: Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. See you soon.
0: Bye.
1: Bye. Take care, brother. I mean, he's just adorable. I get it, Mallory. I totally get it. I always thought he was a cutie patootie. So well, I
0: understand. he certainly has the um, he has the chops, which is half the battle anyway. And I think well, one he's of the an amazingly
1: things that, good candidate.
0: Yeah. Well, right? that's really the thing. Like, I could care less that he's running in the Green Party because the Green Party is a joke, but he's no joke. No. He is the real deal. And he believes that he can help lead this movement away from the two-party duopoly. And the truth is, if he gets a platform, like if he had a few million dollars behind him where everyone knew about him, oh, they would like him. Like, there's nothing not yeah. to like and, No, he's and,
1: definitely a stellar candidate. Like, anybody right. working in this game would want to work with him as a candidate.
0: Oh, absolutely. I know I would. And Lord knows you need, like I said, more men and women in uniform, current, and former that can absolutely convey this type of message, and he has a very, for somebody who has seen combat, he has a very um, calm demeanor that you don't often see. I'm sure having kids does make it easier, and that in the, in that regard, uh, knowing what real battle is, um, we so often take that for granted. Um, he is. Me,
1: he's smart. He's articulate, and he's served.
0: LA comedians
1: I have a special place on my heart for those Marines,
0: man. Semper yeah. fly. LA Comedians is absolutely correct. One of the biggest issues here that faces a lot of these third-party candidates. Because again, we are in a political echo chamber. Most people don't know who Matthew Ho is, even in light of what's going on right now. Although I think the longer it continues and the fact that it is getting covered on uh, various forms of national media, you know, that's going to be big. Um, you know, credit to- <laughs>
1: Oh, he, Kelly Clarkson fan that he, you think he pushed us to the left because he's a green party candidate probably on paper. I'm probably the same as him. Like I probably agree with all the same things that he agrees on. And the reality is there's not really a party where we can all be in that has any sort of institutional power.
0: Negrani, uh, I will tell you that if Kristen Gonzalez's team had responded that, you know, they had responded that she doesn't have the time, you know, to come on we our show. To her, right? we, out. we absolutely did. Uh, she didn't make the time. Nomiki did. Um, and that doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're cheering for Nomiki. No, we no. Obviously want a non-corporate representative to represent the district. But just know that we made a We made an attempt to reach both. Um, would we do a debate on this show? Eh, yeah, I guess we would. Uh, I don't
1: like debates. And I specifically don't see the point in having a debate amongst candidates that are the same on policy, which is basically what we would be having. And the yeah. kind of crap that you're wanting to ask about is drama and i'm not interested in talking about drama i'm interested in talking about policy and if we had two non-corporate candidates that were so different on policy i'd be shocked so i just don't see where there would be a debate as much as a discussion that's all
0: if you guys like what we have to say and i know some of you do and some of you don't but you're still here anyway Make sure you get over to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can become an awesome supporter of our show. And why, Jen, would somebody want to give money to this small but mighty channel?
1: Yeah, you know, really to support us, but all of our money that we raise goes to our 501c4 Gen Corps organization. And we do things like, I'm actually sitting here thinking that I'm going to send some money to Matthew because to fight for the idea of having them get on the ballot, I think is an important democratic principle. But we support um, all sorts of local initiatives that are service, community service initiatives. And we also do support non-corporate candidates and nonpartisan race. It's just a variety of different things. But yeah, we, we are small but mighty. But all of our money just goes towards helping us just trying to make the world a better place. We have nobody on salary. We, we are sitting there like, literally robbing Peter to pay Paul to, you know, try to
0: robbing Peter salary. to pay Jen. Yeah, robbing Peter to pay Jen. That's, that's so,
1: yeah, we could use some help. And And the things that cost money, like right now, we have someone that's helping us beef up our TikTok and do like video clips. And, you know, I like to, we can find some people that'll be willing to donate their time and work for us for free, but I really want to be able to pay people to help us grow. So really that's the money does go to service, but it is also going towards helping us get bigger so that we can raise more money. So,
0: yeah, I would say that that is correct. Um, uh, we appreciate your feedback. All of you guys, obviously, um, you know, what's your, (laughs) can a good friend of the show, Roger Meadows, who does not need to be a Patreon. If he wants to be, that's wonderful, but he always uh, chips in in the super chat. Uh, ben, can you show us the real star of the show? Your dog's name is not Fluffy. It is Lulu. And Lulu looks mighty awesome. Uh, here she comes. Lulu! Look at that little munchkin. Hey, Lou. You see me, Lou? Hi, sweetie pie. There she is. Well, she certainly makes the joke. Yet, yeah. uh, here's kisses. So, I had yes. to
1: wake her up from her, you know, eleventh nap today in order to uh, make that appearance. So, was a hard, we, not
0: life for the dog.
1: My dogs have a hard little life here.
0: Yeah, really, <laughs> super duper hard.
1: So, what do we have coming up? We have some good stuff coming up.
0: We right? do. We do have some good stuff coming up. Uh, we are going to f- interview a uh, good friend, uh, Robert Ascencio, uh, who is running for Congress in Florida's twenty-sixth congressional district. He is running. Where is
1: that now? Where is, that? is that?
0: It's part. It's Miami. Uh, oh, yeah.
1: Is that? Is that okay? I'm trying to think if that's the one that goes all the way down to the Keys.
0: Yes, that's the one. All
1: right. I think. I'm all confused sure. now.
0: Well, who knows these days anyway? Uh, So we will have, uh, we will have Mr. Asensio come on, which will be great. Uh, On Wednesday, we haven't, we don't, we do not have our final guest yet for Monday, but that could be a big one. We'll see. Uh, Uh um, You're going
1: to have to talk off air because you always do these things. You have secret meetings and things happen and you don't tell me.
0: Well, on Wednesday, we're going to have um, Mo, uh, I don't know how to say her last name, but Uh, Somebody that you really wanted to get on that will be talking about the baby formula crisis.
1: Maureen.
0: Right. So we're going to have her come on and we're also going to have on an interesting candidate, Daniel Olfelder, who is running for the attorney general of the state of Florida. He is also known as uh, the Grim Reaper. He's the guy who was showing up on the beaches uh, during the early days of COVID with the Grim Reaper basically saying.
1: Wait, who is this? Who is this that we're having on?
0: He's an attorney who's part of the Democratic, uh, he's part of the Democratic establishment. That's his name? And, uh, Daniel Olfegel. Okay. Olf- okay. Olf- All right. Olf- All right. Olf- and
1: that's Olf- next Wednesday. Josh, we actually like Alan Ellison, and we had him on um, last week. So that's the person we like, right? I mean, would you say, Peter? Like, he's yeah, I mean, to- I
0: also think Ben Sorensen is fine. Again, the problem that I have is that this seat is basically being carved out for Jared Moskowitz. And listen, I don't know Jared personally, I can't say anything bad about him. But, you know, we, we really need to have the democratic process. And in most of these cases, we're not having them. And that's one of the reasons why the Democratic Party in particular fails. The GOP does not do this. They have one rule. Whoever's the nominee, you get behind them for the general against the Democrat. That's their rule. And I think most people likes that rule. Alan um,
1: Ellison actually is, he is now running in 23. And I yeah,
0: think he, he's, he's relocated. He, his his business is actually run out of Boca. And I believe his wife lives is,
1: really close to the line.
0: Yeah, so. his wife is in this area as well. So, yeah. Um. It was something that he was thinking about and, you know, he, I don't blame him. What happened to him in the, in the U S Senate race was not cool.
1: And he's another really good candidate, by the way.
0: Yeah, Oh, he's good. He's very good. So if you haven't seen our interview, Josh, we had Alan on the show, I want to say a week ago. Yeah. uh, And we should have a candidate clip of him up. Um, I think later this week or over the weekend as well. So definitely check that out if you get a chance. Um, Yeah. And then, um, you know, we'll have him on uh, because I think it's very important for people to understand the importance of the role of the attorney general. The attorney general has the discretion as to whether or not abortion cases will be heard, which is kind of (laughs) the fact that we're there. um, Now we know what position is actually really important. But as we've discussed, um, you know, DeSantis is clearly running for president. So I don't think that abortion cases past obviously past 15 weeks, but just abortion cases in general, it's not going to be a primary focus because he knows it's a compa- it's a losing issue. He knows that he can only go so hard into that. He can say, "Yeah, we're going to try it in the courts. So we're going to do this, that, and the other thing," but there is a limit to how far he'll go. Uh, I do believe that. I think you would agree. Um, but obviously, I sympathize completely with anyone who's in a trigger state like Missouri. These
1: things happening that are just freaking nightmares. We're yeah. releasing 10 year olds, uh, incest victims, all sorts of crap is starting. Let to me pop- tell you something,
0: ladies and gentlemen, and this is the Democratic Party's failure in a nutshell. If you are an Ohio resident and you need to go to North Alabama, also known as Indiana, to get an abortion, you really have a problem. You can't even have an infrastructure in Ohio. You have failed so badly. I don't
1: think people understand the gravity of the situation because a lot of these states, you're talking about what they're, do- I just saw this clip of a doctor in Texas that was talking about what's been happening in OB-GYN in Texas. And what you're seeing is you're seeing women that have pregnancies that are gonna be failed pregnancies where you've got something wrong with the baby and, and or something wrong with the woman, that they're actually making making these women wait Until their life depends on it, in order to have the procedure,
0: and by then it'll be too late.
1: Well, it's just so dangerous. It's just so dangerous to do that. And we're going to be talking about things like you. We are going to start seeing women dying from ectopic pregnancies. I
0: got to tell you, I got to tell you, Jen. If there ever was a time for Mexico to really troll America, although Mexico is an extremely Catholic nation, I don't know what their laws are. so I could be speaking out of, uh, out of, you know, poor context, but, and again, you know, the States to the North, um, the only ones that really come to mind is North Dakota and Montana.
1: If you um, live up there, your best bet would be to go to, Canada. Go to Canada.
0: Just go to Canada.
1: It, it's just, this is, it's just so, um handmaid's tale it's it's really it's really scary it's the
0: last and, remnants of the of, of this idea that women are should be subjugated and it's just easier to do that which um, is why
1: when i look at people like that Aaron grahl standing yeah. there smiling behind desantis in this protect life picture and i'm just i'm thinking to myself i hate to feel like an evil bitch but you know what if she were to get an ectopic pregnancy and end up with some serious complications, I got to tell you, that would be somewhat poetically just to me. I, I, I'm i just I'm so frustrated with this whole. I, it's just keep your hands out of my person. It's just it's very frustrating to me. That me, is I,
0: why I am proud to be Irish, Kelly. So at least the, at least Ireland has uh, some semblance of sense. I don't know, again, what the laws are. In, in they have
1: had major abortion problems in Ireland. They had that woman die a few years ago that couldn't get an abortion. So they're not exactly like the banner, the poster children of like, you know, Oh, the, they
0: don't allow the separation churches. OK, I see. All right. My mistake. Uh, yeah, well, again, and this is why I'm not Catholic and this is why religion is a joke and people need to learn that. You know, it's amazing. And I, and I say this, uh, all the time, it's like if you just wanted to practice the teachings of Jesus Christ, who if he is your Lord and Savior and separate him from the church, it's like night and day. There is nothing that Jesus preaches would ever constitute what the church has created. Because religion is bullshit and everyone knows it.
1: Yeah, I'm, any- I'm so, I'm so frustrated. I, I, I'm, I'm very, very frustrated. With yeah, this. Well. I'm thinking I might use the opportunity to go visit Hot Springs and see what, you know, Matthew's up to when he goes up there. Because Hot Springs is really nice. Listen,
0: it'll be a good opportunity to do, you know, um some in-person stuff for the podcast, for social media, take some pictures, be at an event, become more familiar with people in the area. Um, I'm telling you, Matt's going places. It's just a question of making sure that he's guided properly. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Oh, before we go guys, I want to plug my friend Mo's new show. Sure. So everybody go on to YouTube and subscribe to community work. And follow my friend Mo and see what she's doing. This is somebody that you would normally probably not ever see because she's definitely going to be in a niche that she calls like the Black YouTube niche. And she's very specifically really trying to rescue the communities um, from the justice system. Would she be
0: willing to come on and and talk about the show? Does she want to do that? I'm
1: sure she would at this point. She was just waiting to have everything up and running. But guys, so check out Mo's show on, on community work. Um, and see what she's going to be doing. I know she's going to be doing some
0: great stuff. Yeah, well, like I said, this is why um, it's very important that we build at the local level. And that was something that Nomiki did say, which I think is a good place to close, is that despite all of the noise that we hear out there, all politics is local. It is much more important to have the support of people in your community. You've got to build the foundation somewhere. One of the reasons why Jen was successful even though she didn't win, is because she is from here. And there are a lot of people who appreciate a local person really trying to help change the narrative. Because Lord knows in Florida, we need it. And as others have said in the chat, so goes Florida, so goes the country. That and are just so in
1: really incredibly likable.
0: Oh, well, Jen definitely likes the sound of her own voice. Well, I like mine too. So <laughs> With that said, we appreciate you guys. Thank you as always. We'll see you Monday.